but we are in John 12. We're going to finish up John 12 today. And those uh, verses we're going to cover today are John 12, 35 through 50. John 12, 35 to the end of the chapter. Let me go ahead and read these verses for us this morning. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who has believed thy report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, and lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the world, but for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, he has uh, that which has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that this command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, as we finish up this last chapter before before chapter 13, Father, as we read about the last uh, hours and and day of of uh, Jesus' life before uh, the crucifixion. Father, we ask that you uh, bless our time together. Uh, take these words, Father, and enlighten our minds, Father, and, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember, three weeks ago, uh, we were, uh, with, with the, the passages before us, Jesus, uh, if you remember, over, over in 27, he says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? We We've seen a, a change. That was the first time we've seen Jesus say something like that. A big, a big shift as we're approaching the cross. We are very close. Obviously, y'all know if you're looking at the, the scriptures, we are very, very close here as a matter of, of days. So we get to our passage today. And let's jump right in because we are a little bit short on time this morning. Uh, verses uh, 35 and 36. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is a warning, isn't it? This is a warning from the lips of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is telling them, I'm only going to be with you for a little bit longer. 
My time here, my he's been here roughly three years on earth, his earthly ministry. He's only going to be with them a little bit longer. And so he's saying, you really, you, you need to hear what I'm saying. You need to hear the message. Um, you are in the darkness is what he's telling them. And you don't know where, he's, where you're going because he says, he who walks in darkness is not where he's going, which that makes perfect sense. But Jesus is talking about what? Spiritual darkness that's what he's referring to right he's referring to the spiritual darkness and he makes it very clear he says you need to become sons of light what we know is that the time uh, for people to hear the gospel from jesus himself is now coming to an end okay it's, it's coming very close to an end okay not not an end for them to hear the gospel but to hear it from what from his own lips Okay, from the very lips of Jesus is coming uh, very close to him. Notice also that he did not, after he said these things, he didn't remain very long to plead with them. He, he gave them a warning. Then in what it says in verse 36, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So we have this, this warning. Uh, time is coming uh, very close to an end. Sadly, what we know is that few heeded the warning. Verse 37, it says, But although although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now, John here takes, um, for he doesn't, he doesn't settle for just reporting what happened. Uh, a lot of times, we, we, the gospel narratives, it's, it's a report of, of what happened. But, God, but John doesn't settle for that because he wants to go on to explain what happened. And so in John Eludes, and, and according to John, uh, and un, he's he's writing these things under divine inspiration, right, of the Holy Spirit. According to John, uh, the the faith that that is required for salvation is not something that simply rests on intellectual understanding or a submission. In other words, you can't. What John's going to he's going to build it out, right? He's going to build out that just seeing the miracles it's not enough to convince someone. Right, we know that. Why do we know that? Well, we know that because what is required for faith, for saving faith, is the uh, required then and these times is the same thing that's required now. And what is that? It's not enough just to see the, to, to 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 witness a miracle. Saving faith, in order to someone to receive it, requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is a required action for someone to have eyes to see. What is really going on? The, the ministry of the Holy Spirit must accompany the Word of God in order to do what? To remove the scales from our eyes, to unstop our ears so that we can hear and we may believe. And so this brings us back to, uh, we'll, we'll use the word Calvinism. John wouldn't use that word, right? Because John Calvin wasn't even born, right? Uh, at this time, he's born... 1500 years later so uh so john would not call it calvinism john would call uh this what he would call it biblical truth wouldn't he that's what he would call it it's truth from the well not from the bible but from the words uh, of jesus and the old testament but so we, we we talk about john in the way um he is teaching these things that we call calvinism he tells us what that the rejection of christ at this time happened why and he explains here in verses uh, 38 through 41 he says that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe 
Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So John here cites two passages from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, He uses the first passage to show what? That Isaiah prophesied the rejection of Jesus and his message. But it doesn't stop there, right? He goes on to say, he makes the point, John makes the point by citing Isaiah, that the people were not even capable of believing. That's the words of Isaiah, isn't it? So to support it, again, he, he points us to Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, which is that famous uh, passage that, require, that, that recounts Isaiah's great vision of God and then God calling him as a prophet. You remember those that calling. Um, what in that in that calling Isaiah as a prophet? What did he? What did God tell him? I'm on, I'm calling you as a prophet. I'm giving you a message to go deliver. And what? They're not going to hear you. They're not going to believe it. How would you feel if you were called by the living God to go deliver a message? And, and God, oh, and by the way, I'm not even going to believe what you say. You might say, well, then what's the point? Why am I going to tell them? Well, we'll get to that a little bit later. God warned him, warned Isaiah that the people would not listen to his message. Because why? Because God had made a judicial verdict against sinful Israel. He had blinded them spiritually. And he had given them hard hearts. Now, Let's, before we move on from that, let's, let's, let's make the point, let's remind ourselves, because we know this, right? That God does not force anyone to sin. Let's be clear, okay? He does not force anyone to sin and then refuse to rescue them. God does not operate that way, okay? However, however, what, do, what God does do is sometimes He turns sinful people over to their own sin. He gives them over to it. And that is a terrible judgment, isn't it? To be given over to your own sin. Not something that God forces anyone. We're sinful people. We're fallen. But when God gives someone over to that, that is a terrible, terrible judgment. Well, that that is what happened to the people of Israel in Isaiah's day. That is what God had done. God... God did the same thing in Jesus' day. The people were rebellious and God judged them. He judged them with the inability to repent. Even though the message of the gospel was being presented right before their eyes by the Son of God Himself. Well, this uh, this is no new theme for John. This is not something new for him. You remember back in chapter 6, John records uh, some of the the controversial words of Jesus, uh, the hard sayings uh, that caused, if you remember, many of his disciples to to stop following him. Remember these words of Jesus. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Wow. That is an amazing statement from Jesus. Jesus was saying then that what? No one has the ability to come to me. Unless the Father draws them. Unless the Father who sent me draws them. The Father must act first. 
And the Father always uses the ministry of the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? To do that. The Holy Spirit must give the sinner faith. The Holy Spirit must change the disposition of the heart, must change the will, must take a fallen will and give it a new life, a new will, and give them spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. That is absolutely required. God acts first in the life of a sinner to bring them to life. It was John's inspired conclusion that God had refused to do this for the people who heard Jesus' message and witnessed his miracles. Verse 41 is a little cryptic at first. Uh, it's, it's, it's not absolutely certain who John is referring to when he says, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, when you, when, if you're reading just Isaiah, you have an idea, okay, who is Isaiah referring to? And then uh, we come in here and John's using it here now in the New Testament. But who's John talking about here? John's talking about Jesus, isn't he? He's talking about the message that Jesus is bringing. So if we consider the text before us, there's very much here to lead us to believe that when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, that he was beholding the pre-incarnate Christ. He, based on what we're reading here, that, that he saw Christ on the throne of glory before Christ was even born as a man. That's truly amazing, isn't it, to think about. John tells us, John goes on to tell us that God did give the gift of faith. To some, to some who heard. He writes here in verses 42 and 43, he says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Well, the, the group who we've been talking about, who is most opposed to Jesus, the religious leadership of the day, we spent a lot of time talking about them. Uh, not all of them rejected Christ, which that's good. That's good news, isn't it? But what's the, what's, what's the other side of the coin here, right? Many of them, the ones who believed, kept their belief quiet. They did not uh, advertise their belief. Because why? Because the Sanhedrin had threatened to expel anyone who claimed the name of Christ and kick him out of the synagogue. You know, this this is, uh, this is uh, Dr. Sproul mentioned this here. He says, this, this is one of the saddest statements about the spiritual leadership at the time. They preferred the praises of men above the praises of of God and their refusal to publicly acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. When we hear this this phrase, they loved the praise of men. They 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 had a good reputation among the people and they liked it. They had a position of authority, of rule, and they liked it and they enjoyed it. They were, they were, they were so much so they were, they were devoted to the world and the world's standards. They would rather please men than to please God. And again, that is a, 
that is a sad statement about about uh, these folks. Calvin added here, Calvin said, can anything be more foolish? Or rather, can anything be more beastly than to prefer the silly applause of men to the judgment of God? But we do know that among those who believed apparently was Joseph of Arimathea, who we hear about later, and apparently Nicodemus as well. We know those two apparently had believed and believed in Jesus. John goes on in verses 44 through 46. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So we have John telling us about these many miracles that Jesus has been doing. People still can't see. He's building out. He said they can't, they can't see because they're not able to see unless God works in their heart, unless the Holy Spirit works. And now we're back to Jesus' words. And he says, Jesus cried out is what John says. This this is this is an, this is a cry. This is an expression from Jesus saying, "I'm extremely passionate about what I'm saying." I mean, the, the words of what I'm saying are life. The difference between life and death. Okay, that's how important these words are. It's it's a this is his cry is is an exhortation uh, to excite them. Even it, it's it's just you really need to listen to what I'm saying. Jesus added that, uh, and we mentioned it earlier, that uh, a person cannot have the Son and then reject the Father, and neither can a person have the Father and reject the Son. Why? Because the Father and the Son are one. They are one, along with the Holy Spirit. When you think about the, the persons of the Father and the Son, yes, they are one. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but... Uh, in this context, it means they have all the same goals. They have all the same intentions, right? They are they're, they are on the same page, is, is what we would like to say, right? We, and you know, when we when we're working amongst each other, there's, there's a lot of times that you know we we have to ask each other, hey, we need, let's me and you get on the same page, right? We're, we're kind of going in two different directions, right? Well, the father and the son were never not on the same page. They've never had to have that conversation. The son has never gotten off on a rabbit trail somewhere and the father has to say, hey, son, I need to have a conversation with you. We've got to get back on the same page. That discussion has never happened. Never. They've always been of one mind. All the time. Eternally. And Jesus says here, the father sent the son. He's talking about himself. He was The son was sent to accomplish the mission that they had agreed upon when? Before the foundation of the world. Before time even began I think uh, this portion of the the commentary Dr. Sproul uh, described as Christ as the first missionary have you ever thought about that have you ever thought about Christ being the first missionary well that's indeed the first missionary of the Christian church was Jesus Christ himself uh his this mission, this mission trip that he is on, this amazing uh, mission, was not an afterthought. Again, it was not uh, something that that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit came up with after the fall. 
You know, they didn't create uh, Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. And then we had the fall. And then they said, oh, no, what are we going to do now? You know, we've got to come up with a plan. That didn't happen either. That conversation never happened, right? This has always been the plan since the beginning of time and eternity past. And we call this plan, uh, we call it the covenant of redemption. Uh, before God ever made a covenant with Adam, uh, before he never, or before he ever made a covenant with Noah or Abraham or David, right? He made a covenant with himself, didn't he? Within the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they made a covenant with each other, okay, within the Godhead. And from all eternity, it was a plan of God to create this world and then to redeem this world by sending the Son as an appointed missionary. You ever think about that for a moment? And you think about, why did he do that? Why did God create a perfect world, put two people in it, give them the ability to choose, make them moral creatures? Why didn't he not... Why, why did he, why did he just make them? Per- they couldn't choose. They'll just they'll always be sinless, and we'll all we'd all still be in the garden. Well, I don't claim to have any uh, revelation or new revelation, but the only way it makes sense in my brain, okay, is you have to start with God because God doesn't change, right? God's never changed. Today, we understand God has many attributes, right? Some of them, a few really important ones, right, are grace. God is gracious, isn't he? God is merciful. If man had never fallen, would we have ever experienced grace? We wouldn't have, right? If man, if there was no fall, if you were still perfect in the garden, you would not understand grace. Just as the angels don't understand grace, right? They look into our salvation. They don't understand it, right? We would never understand grace. Because we wouldn't need it. Right? No sin. No fall. I mean, it just... It's the covenant of works. Correct? There's no grace there. I mean, you could... There's no grace. In other words, there's no... There's nothing between us. Okay? There's no reason that we need salvation. Let me put it that way. That helps. But God was gracious. He's always been gracious. How uh, how else can human beings understand grace other than through the fall? Interesting thing to think about, right? Interesting thing to think about. Um, it when you because we're getting into I know for me, right? I'm a simple minded person. You start getting there, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of to the edge of what I can understand, you know, and I, and because His ways are so high. Right, and and so I, I very quickly get to that. I say, yeah, I can't go any further with that because I can't. I, I really can't fathom uh, this. Okay, but anyway, that's all. What we're building out here is, and I don't want to get off track. But what we're building out here is this was always the plan. This was not a secondary mission here. Verses forty-seven to forty-eight. Jesus says, "If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him." For I did not come into the world to, to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, 
will judge him on the last day. Now, we know from the rest of Scripture that Jesus' first coming, this, this earthly ministry, uh, he did not come here to sit in judgment. He makes that very clear. His purpose here is to do what? To make atonement. That's why Jesus is here, to make atonement for his people. However, comma, okay, what we do know through Scripture is that when he returns, he will sit in judgment. You know this from John 5, uh, from Matthew 25. The word tells us that it's very clear. And it's at that time when Jesus returns as king and also to judge the world that those who have heard his word and have failed to respond will incur a harsher judgment. We know that from Luke 12. Finally, verses 49 through 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus, when he is speaking, he's speaking with, and this is his point, right? He's speaking under the authority of the one who sent him. He's speaking under God's authority. He's, he's been preaching and he has preached a message that he was told to preach. So there is, when you, when you think about what Jesus is doing here and the authority from which he spoke and, and the message that he preached, there is absolutely no doubt that Jesus was the divine missionary. He was sent from heaven for this mission. Later in John 20, Jesus says this, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I think about that for a minute. This, this missionary, this divine missionary, Jesus, the Son of God, being sent on a mission, he said, okay, I was sent from the Father. Now what? I'm sending you. I'm leaving this mission work with you. He, he gave them at that time Okay, uh, to the ones that, that, that could hear him and see him. He gave them the same mission that he himself had been given from the Father. And that is what? That is the basis, right? Those words are the basis for the entire missionary task of the church, even today, right? That's where it starts. That's where it started. Uh, Dr. Sproul commented here, he says, we live in a culture that embraces pluralism and relativism, right? Y'all know pluralism, right? Many, many gods, many ways to God. It's all right, right? Relativism, there's no absolute truth, right? Everything's man decides for himself, you know, what is true. Well, that's the culture we live in, right? He says, and we're told every day that proselytizing people or trying to convert people to Christ, Christianity is taboo. But the Lord himself was sent by the Father to seek and to save the lost. And he passed, and he has now passed the baton to his disciples. Nobody argues with that, right? We don't argue with that. But this is a question 
And you've, you've heard this before. And Dr. Sproul brings it out here. We probably even talked about it here some in the class. So all these things, and this is a good lesson to kind of have this question because the context of what we're studying here, right, is we've studied the sovereignty of God over salvation, right? God, the Holy Spirit has to enable someone to hear, okay, gives them eyes to see, ears to hear, and no one can believe beside that. So if, if, if God has planned out everything from the beginning and God's sovereign, and he knows who's going to believe and who is not. In other words, he knows who the elect are and who the reprobate is. Then why should we be engaged in missions? You've heard that before, right? Why do we evangelize? Why are we engaged in missions? God's, he's got a plan. He's sovereign. He's going to work it all out. Why do I need to tell my neighbor about Jesus if he's lost? God knows whether he's, going, he's elect or not. He knows whether he's going to be saved. He's already decided. So why, why even act? Dr. Sproul said that one of his seminary professors asked the class the very same question back when Dr. Sproul was in seminary. I said seminary. Who? Seminary. <laughs> Getting ahead of myself, right? <laughs> fast forward from seminary to, to the cemetery. So one of his professors asked this question. And they went around the room and a lot of students kind of had a, a look on their face. I don't know why. I, I can't explain that. I think they, they kind of thought he was looking for some fancy explanation, I think, maybe for this. And so they said they got to, to Dr. Sproul. Uh, Dr. Sproul says, well, I don't think this is the answer you're looking for. But one small reason that we should be involved in missions is because Jesus commanded us to be involved in missions. Now, is that a good answer? It's a very good answer, isn't it? It's a very good answer. Bingo, right? Bingo. What what better reason do you need? I think, and, and the prof- he, he quoted what the professor said Professor Besky said, you're absolutely right. Jesus commanded us to do missions. What, what we know is that God is sovereign over salvation. He is sovereign over uh, saving faith. He's sovereign over the means of salvation. But God has ordained the ends as well as the means, hasn't he? He's sovereign through the whole process and from from all eternity God has chosen the foolishness of preaching as to the means to bring people to salvation the fact that men can stand up and preach the word in a fallen state God can use that to save people isn't that a wonderful thing he uses the preaching of the word through foolish and fallen and sinful men to the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to make dead people alive amen and he does it He does not need you. He doesn't need me to save anyone. But He gives us the unspeakable privilege, the amazing opportunity to participate with Him in this great mission work. You know, it was Sam Thomas who stood here at some point. I know he's been here many times, but he said, remember what he said? Understanding comes after obedience. 
Understanding comes after obedience. If we're obedient to the Great Commission, we might not understand what God's doing in the middle of it, right? But afterwards, we'll probably understand, won't we? Sometimes we get to understand here. We know for sure we'll understand when we get to heaven to see Jesus. Every small interaction, every time that you have shared the gospel with someone, maybe you didn't see the fruit. But God was there, if He was there and the Holy Spirit was working, He was using that. And then we have what we can say we did what? God, you let us participate in your work. What an amazing privilege that is. Think about it. That He would use us, sinful creatures who fall, who have many, many issues with our own spirit, right? We still sin, we struggle in sin, but He gives us that wonderful opportunity to join Him. I'll, I'll finish with this. This is uh, Dr. Sproul. He, he concludes this lesson with this statement. Oh, that the Lord will look upon each of us on that day and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You took seriously the mission that I gave to you to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every living creature that people from every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation might believe and be saved. Enter into the joy of your master. The bell has rung. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our day. Thank you for our time together. Father, if uh, if this morning, Father, if there was anything said that was in error, Father, we ask that you take it away from us. Father, uh, remove it from our hearing, from our memory. Father, but where uh, you have, your truth has been uh, spoken here today, Father, we ask that you use that along with the ministry of the Holy Spirit to to help us and to change us, make us more like Christ. And Father, as we end our time of study here this morning, Father, we go into our worship service. We ask that whatever may be distracting us, Father, we pray that you would remove that too and that we may worship you in spirit and in truth and be with our pastor, Father. Thank you for him. We pray that you'll continue to give him that boldness to preach your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.